0: Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better.
1: Welcome to episode 96 of Smart Enough to Know Better. It's a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. I'm... Gregoire. And. In this episode, we're going to be talking to a climate change denialist. No, wait, that's not right No, at it's all. not. that's not it's exact, exactly the, That's exactly the opposite. the opposite of what he does. In this episode, we're going to be talking to the exact opposite of a climate change denialist. Are you a climate change denialist? I have to deny climate. The whole thing's <laughs> vacuum. <laughs> it's all void.
2: I, I just suck vacuum all the time. If you're a person who knows a climate change denialist, listen to this podcast and learn how maybe to talk to them without strangling their necks. Without strangling their necks.
1: But before we get there, what have you done? This week in science,
2: I read a really interesting thought experiment, which I want to share with the listeners and ooh, you, Dan. Ooh, yeah,
1: right. As we all know, Elon Musk, my my bow. Wait, is this a is this a thought experiment or is this a wish diary entry? Shh, shh, quiet,
2: be quiet now. Maybe a bit of both. Elon Musk, the, my my big man crush, the the man who uh, is going to save the planet because he's Iron Man, basically. <laughs> yeah. He said recently that self driving cars are pretty much a self fulfilling prophecy at this point. They're going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to happen quite quickly. Like it's not it's not. 50 50 years away, we're talking maybe five. Like it could be that soon for, for rich people, and then it'll all trickle down to us. But we're definitely within, oh, definitely, definitely, Greg says about the future, definitely, definitely, 20, definitely 20 years in the future. That we're going to have these cars everywhere. Most people have self-driving cars because they're safer. Mm. They use less fuel. Mm. Maybe we could all carpool so we don't have to own the vehicle. can could just wander around. They're better at doing donuts. Better at doing donuts. They can really just get do some good damn circle work. They're just all around better. Here's the problem, though. Yeah, you're all right. Imagine you're driving down the street. Well, you're not driving. You're just sitting there reading your, reading your comics and... My comics. Maybe I'm
1: reading the newspaper, Greg. Oh, no, 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 Dan. Don't come maybe up. I've, maybe I've had a tree pulped and had ink printed on this tree pulp. <laughs> and now maybe I'm sitting back and enjoying reading a newspaper. Maybe. Okay. Maybe I'm practicing my violin. Maybe. 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 Maybe, maybe. I'm... Stroking my beard and smoking my pipe—that would be quite actually—that'd be interesting. No, not gonna lie.
2: Inside a car? No, it's not going not to it's shared. No, no. Anyway, the point is, you're driving down the street, doing whatever you choose to do, dear listener, and suddenly the car next to you slams into you. it. Has an error, and you get slammed into the oncoming traffic of the other
1: side. Jesus! And Exciting.
2: So, and so now, suddenly, two automated cars are flying towards each other. Yep. A human being can definitely not avoid this crash. But these cars—I'm talking about. Uh, non centralized uh, distrib- distribution networks of, of ne- uh, brains. Yeah. So they're all talking yeah. to each other. They go, Holy shit! What, t- two cars! They're going towards each other. They we, don't do that. We have to stop. No, they don't do they, that. They always do that. That's why, they always That's... That's why they're going to take over the world. They, they go, They're like, Ah! They're, they're,
1: they're not still... screaming, Holy shit! They're going, I'll just drive around it.
2: But they can't. Like a flock of Starlings. They can't, though. Two cars heading towards each They can't. Now, they crash into each other. Everyone dies. Okay. You it's, say it's, it's like head to head, 200 kilometers an hour. Boom! Crash! Everyone dies. You're dead. And the family of four in the other car is dead. Four? Family of four. Jesus. Mother, father, little Jimmy, little Jenny. Boom, crash. Everyone dies. Thought experiment. Yeah. It's a computer. Yeah. They're communicating with each other all the time, every other car. What happens if one of those cars could survive if one was just plowed into a pole at 100 k's an hour and the other one was told to flick around the side? Oh, wow. And if they make that decision... How do they make that decision? Do they base it on the number of people? Do they base it on... What like you should a car
1: Age, yeah, should a car predicted be, life expectancy remaining? Maybe. Should possibility a car that possibility that person will ru- one day rise up and overthrow the robot race? That's right. That's it that's, 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 you see what I'm saying? Here, the the thought experiment of Are you chaperoning Sarah Connor? That, <laughs> it's but can you see Chaperoning? Uh, chauffeur uh, chauffeuring. Sh- chauffeuring. Are you chauffeuring Sarah, Sarah Connor? Yes. <laughs> but it it that would should have, have been machine, a much funnier joke if I'd uh, actually said it properly. You can edit it and make it any way you like. Should a machine... No, pacing was all off. It was... I just sucked all the energy out of it. Just like now.
2: Should a machine have the ability to make a decision... Yep. ...to kill you, Dan? Yep. Oh right, okay, that's, that's the answer. Yeah. So you should die, and the family of four should should live. That, that's should fine. The, why should the machine miss out? Everyone else that meets me wants to kill me. Oh, stop. Okay, someone you care for, the frog princess, your your beloved wife. Yes, she's driving down the road. So she's. Do you want your wife to die in the no. car? So that the other family of four can live. Who are they? They're just random family of
1: four. Any of them hot? Uh,
2: you know, six.
1: <laughs> that's the husband. No, oh yeah. In fact, well, I think we figured out the scale. We figured out which oh, one oh, the scale The, the hotness scale. Only, only, so basically, you're going to kill ugly people yeah. and uh, the beautiful so, people. Um, it's so, like hot or not, but uh, incinerated or not. That's right. Now, but
2: you can see, listeners, is, is this something we want to do? Is this something we want to yep. set up? Yep. So you're happy with that? Yep. yep. What, it, I trust the machines. But the machine has to be programmed by someone.
1: No, no, no! It'll be one of them. It'll, it'll learn. It'll, no, it'll, it'll be no, taught by another machine later on. It might, but to begin with, it won't. It'll be, it'll be set up. So, look, they're always bugs. What happens if, what happens if you and your
2: family of four are going down the street? So let's see, let's see, you and Aurelie and myself are in the car uh, going to the street and then suddenly we jump across and we're about to run into the Prime Minister of Australia's car. And Oh, yeah, no, I know why that would have happened. So, I would have steered it <laughs> towards that big-eared mother. No, that's, there's no steering wheel. That's
1: try, num nut. You keep missing the point. The point is they would program the car to keep the Prime Minister alive. He's more important than us. Oh, no, 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 I'm against that. Oh, okay. No, no, let them... no. No, I'm. Yeah, no, I'm getting a tank. Ethics comes into it. It's going to be programmed by a person, and therefore someone could change the programming.
2: Is it the number of people? Is it is it the youth usefulness? Like, what happens if it was four ninety-year-olds in the car and you in coming in the other car? Should they kill all the old people? Because y- yeah. So, so that's to say, old people die, young person lives. Oh, yeah.
1: So what happens if the car's hold of fifteen-year-olds, so the other ones, and then yeah, you're older than them? Should you die so they can live? Wait, 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 wait! No, no, no. That's you. I've been taken out of context here because those guys are pricks. <laughs> Which ones? The fifteen-year-olds. Oh, okay. driving. Right. They're, they're the ones driving. But they're probably responsible. They're not driving at all. They're just remember, this car driving itself. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll take the
2: hit. So, so you actually do think it's a good idea to have machines make a decision about people living or dying? Yeah there you go so, well, do, I. But, so do I actually yeah. uh, you and I are on the same team I've run this past quite a few people over the last week at my work and every one of them is horrified right. that, it, that a machine can take a human life which I point out the machines take human lives all the time now yeah. drones fly over Pakistan and bomb the living tired of people and before the listeners get upset by this yes the machines are told to kill by a human being they just go weapons hot and they go by themselves there isn't, there isn't a human being firing a weapon yes some of them are fired by remote but I'm talking about Totally autonomous drones here, so machines can take human lives. Uh,
1: so I'm just trying to work out. I'm happy with it. No, I'm I, okay. I think it's good too. Like I, I think that the robot uprising is can't come soon enough. <laughs> because people say, oh well, you know, in two generations' time, we'll all be robots. Well, in two generations' time, we'll all be grandchildren, and those guys are going to be just a, those guys going to be dickheads just like us. At least the robots will have some logic going on there. <laughs> Fair enough. How about you, Dan? When I'm trying to
2: solve the world's ethical problems with cars and, and robot brains and AIs, what are, you, what are you doing?
1: I've been thinking about love.
2: Oh, so the, machi- the one thing the machines can't do. I know why you yeah. cry, but it's something I can never do. No, right. oh. All right, unless we installed like a tear mechanism. Da-dum. Da-dum, so da-dum, you like da-dum. a tear
1: mechanism? It's just an upgrade, Dude. Donald.
2: Oh, he's what a stupid robot. He could have just gone. I know why you cry, and after a fifty-dollar lube change, it is something I will easily do. In fact, better than you. Get in the, get in the fire, John Connor. <laughs> I'll be a better John Connor than John Connor.
1: That's no, the. Oh my no God! I'll
2: extinguish you with my tears. <laughs> (laughs) In fact, we've just written a much better story. Oh my goodness, the new terminator should be about the Terminator in the end goes, I must save John Connor. You suck, John Connor. I will throw you into the fire. I am now a better, John Connor. And he just fixes his face. So he looks like John Connor and just walks around going, yes, I am John Connor. He wears bits of the T-1000 on his yeah, face. Yeah, he's just like, uh, what happened to you, John? Why are you Austrian? Oh, I had a head
1: wound. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. What were you trying to say? So you are talking about love. That's what we try. Love, not machines. Love? Yes. Love. All right, so you're desperately in love. Am I? And you don't know how to show it but you've Mm. got your trusty pocket knife (laughs) you've been reading my wish diary again and you go and you go to a a, a young yew tree and you carve you carve something in the tree what do you carve in the tree? I carve a big heart big heart? (laughs) yes with, with GW4 Elon Musk, E.M. Elon Musk. All right, okay. So twenty-five <laughs> years later, yes, you and Elon Musk oh. walking through the park hand in hand, old hand in hand, in, hand, in hand oh. robot hand in hand. Of course, but, well, yeah. But I'm, I, just so we don't spoil it, I'm not going to say who's got the robot hand. Oh. Uh, but it's probably the person who doesn't have the pulverised genitals. But at any rate, the. <laughs> the so you're standing there hand in hand and you look up and there high in the branches is your love heart. G W 4 E M What's wrong about that story? The heart wouldn't go higher up the tree. No, it wouldn't. It would stay where it was. Stay where it was. Yes. Trees like four times as big, but the heart stays where it is. Mm. Like you hang a tie on a branch and you come back in 20 years, that tie is still the same level. Yeah, because the tree the grows tree, from the top. The tree grows from the top. It doesn't grow from the bottom. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't sort of push its way <laughs> out of the earth. <laughs> yeah, right, yes. It's like a really thin tree, and it grows at the bottom, but it grows mm. out. And it goes fatter and grows up the top. If you carved... if you, Listeners, try this at home. If you carve <laughs> a heart in a baby... <laughs> like, in 20 years, it'll be right up high. Like, it'll be five foot off the ground. Yes, yes.
2: That's because the, whole, but the, whole, the child isn't necessarily growing up. The child is also growing out as well. It's growing out from the torso, I yeah, guess. Yeah, or... yeah. From, yeah. Well, their heads are almost fully adult-sized. A baby's head is pretty close yeah. to... It's, I think it's yeah. two-thirds, something like three-quarters, something
1: like that. It's, it's quite large. Baby's head yeah. is huge. But so. if you tied a rope yes. to the baby's foot and the baby's head, yes. in 25 years, it'd be a hunchback. It would With a tree, mm. you tie a rope... To the bottom of a tree and the top of a tree, and the, then the rope only extends a couple of meters up the tree, and the tree just keeps going. Mm. Oh, I see. So the, the what became the
2: top of the tree, that you tied to yeah, it, it, it keeps getting replaced. Doesn't become remain the top of the tree. Also, it probably expand. The tree would go no, and snap the yeah. rope. Yeah, because tree love yeah. can't be contained. That's Right, trees are amazing. Yeah, why can't we all be trees?
1: Oh. Tell me about it. To John Cook, the Climate Communication Research Fellow from the University of Queensland. Hello, Dan. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Greg is here as well. I'm also here, of course. You never get rid because of me. Can't get rid of you. No, that's true. John Cook, we've known each other for ages. <laughs> ages. But I didn't realise that you did science at all. I didn't realize you did podcasting either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also here. Shut up, Greg. Sorry. Your marketing is not working. <laughs> You suddenly cropped up in the news with a project that you've been working on. Firstly, wh- wh- how did you become a science person? When did this start? It actually began
0: with our conversations with my father-in-law. We'd be having a family get together and we'd just start talking about climate change. Hmm. And then he'd start throwing all these arguments at me for why climate change is a hoax. And why it's not uh. hoax. and having a background in physics and science, I'd I go and... Start researching all his arguments mm-hmm. and realize that there wasn't any science behind his beliefs was
1: all. A host. <laughs> mm. And so, but he read them on the internet, John. That's right. Well, <laughs> they that's must right. be true. And so, and so then I thought, well, okay. Well,
0: next time we get together, and we'll, these arguments are bound to come up. Mm, mm. Best to be prepared, uh, and you can never be too prepared for an argument with yes. your father-in-law. So <laughs> I, started, I started building a database of, of all the possible <laughs> arguments or climate
2: myths.
1: That's Dynamics. Yeah, well, because I'm a nerd,
2: <laughs>
1: and apparently he hates seeing his wife happy yeah, in family affairs. <laughs> well, I'm forbidden to bring it up at, at uh, but a, but if someone
2: else, But if someone else happens to bring it up, I've you been, did, I'm waiting. the you didn't start the fight. <laughs> <but> <laughs> I'm, I'm just finishing it. That's all I'm saying. That's a, and eventually I thought other people might find
0: this idea of, uh, well, the database was all the different myths, but then what the mm. peer-reviewed science said about each climate myth. Mm. And I was building this resource up for myself, but then I thought, <laughs> well, maybe other people might find this useful as well. So I published it as a website. So that's how I got into the issue. And then that led to me working at the University of Queensland as a climate communicator.
1: Oh, right. But surely, so you started off as basically a layman with an interest in science and climate change stuff, just like us. That's, that's right.
2: But, hey, I should say, obviously, once you had all the data to answer all the questions, you've solved all the problems because there's the data and that you prove the myths are wrong and therefore everyone believes you and there's no more climate denialists. Isn't that how it works? Well, I was doing it for a couple of years and then I got an email from a
0: psychology professor mm. and he introduced me to the concept that the way people think about science or about anything. Really, mm. is not as rational and well reasoned as you would think. Really, there's, there's a lot of crazy cognitive stuff going mm. on in right.
1: the hood. Gregory, yeah. that doesn't compute to Gregory War 2.0. No, over no, that's here. no,
2: sorry. I've, I've been updated to pure rationality. <laughs> <It's> very <laughs> logical. Uh, so, for example, probably the
0: biggest driver of people's climate attitudes—it's mm. not education, it's not climate knowledge, it's not gender or income or okay. or, or, or any of those things. Can I have a guess?
1: Yeah. Is it the exact state of localised weather when they look out the window?
0: Uh, no, it's not, not even that, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, okay. It's who you vote for. It's your political ideology. Really? That's the biggest predictor of people's attitudes to basic physics like the greenhouse effect. And, really? And where the climate change
2: is happening. Because I would have said that as a joke. <laughs> like I, would have, I would have gone. Conservatives don't like climate, don't like the concept of climate change. Progressives do, but that's just me being a bit bitchy. But that's so that's so me being bitchy is being backed up by science. Oh, there's been a heap of studies, and the relationship between <laughs> oh.
0: politics and climate beliefs oh, my is goodness. incredibly strong. And in my own research, I've been measuring that too, and it's
2: so. Is it correlation or causation? See, that, like, is it just? You, do you believe in one and believe the other, or is it if you if like being conservative, you get more conservative beliefs thrown at you, therefore you you start believing conservative beliefs on climate change. Well one of the challenges with social science is
0: teasing out whether something's just correlated, whether they happen to match or whether one is causing the other. Right. And if so, which way does the causation go? Right. And so doing surveys tells you that there's a correlation, but mm. it doesn't tell you which way the causation goes. Right. The way you do that is by having randomized experiments. And so one example of a randomized experiment in this case is they are presented climate Information to people, Mm. and then they talked about what the solutions were. Mm. And one of the solutions was regulating industry, regulating polluting industries. Mm -hmm. The other solution was free market-friendly solutions, like using the free market to fix climate change. (laughs) And what they found was, for conservatives, when they received this regulation message, Mm. their beliefs went in the wrong direction. They actually became more opposed climate science. Right. But when they got a free market friendly, like exactly the same science message, yes. just the, the solutions were different. Then they accepted the science more.
2: So just to give a real-world example, in Australia a couple of years ago, we created a carbon tax, and that's regulation. That's regulating carbon. And the conservative government that took over went, no, 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 and they banned the carbon tax. Whether it was effective or not, they said, no, it wasn't effective, definitely wasn't effective, didn't work at all, bad idea. And so you're saying that the research, that's exactly what they were going to do. They were going to get more upset about climate change because a regulation being placed upon them to do something. So the only way to fix it would be to free, allow free markets to fix it somehow.
0: In theory, that's, that's kind of the way. It's a little bit more complicated in Australia because in this case, you actually have the coalition, the conservative government's solution hmm is actually a government intervention solution. This direct action is the government intervening. Okay. Ultimately, what Labor was suggesting was actually a market solution where you put a price on carbon and then you let the market decide what oh. is the most efficient solution.
2: Hang on. Fine. Right, okay. So this is, wait. So it's the opposite. So they should have liked the carbon tax.
0: They should have liked a price on carbon, probably through an emission trading scheme. That's a market-based oh,
2: solution. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's, I understand what you're saying there.
0: But but ultimately Mm. what's happening with the Conservative government is their ideology, this small government free market ideology, is driving their whole opposition... Mm. To the science. Mm. They, they don't accept the science and yeah. they definitely don't accept this, any solutions. What if we
1: provided the science in a small brown paper bag on a Friday <laughs> afternoon across their desk? Like, they like accepting those sort the, of packages uh, the, Allegedly, the, allegedly. The, allegedly. The, the, <laughs> I was about to say, the, the, the terrible things said by Dan Beeson are not
2: the terrible things said by Spinoza I about believed in any way, shape, or form. I, I, I watched this documentary online. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, that's all fine. I always wonder if it's they honestly disagree with the science or they're just saying they disagree with the science because they have business interests they have well they're not forget they have other interests which they have to protect i mean literally how can we answer that question I mean, that's that's, right. that's that's a dangerous question well <laughs> i mean the reason why climate change is
0: so complicated and mm. difficult is cuz you do have this perfect storm you have vested interests mm. you have yeah. coal mining or the fossil fuel industry mm. wanting to keep selling their product to us mm. and then you also have political ideology you have conservatives who oppose regulation of industry
3: mm. who mm. want
0: free markets and small government Mm. Uh, Naomi Resquez refers to it as an unholy alliance between these these two groups. Yeah. So when you have a really powerful mining industry mm. allied with a conservative government, mm. uh, it like makes it difficult. Climate action almost has no chance under those circumstances.
2: Is it also because over a human lifespan, yes, temperatures are going up, but it's you know small over a human lifespan, over 20 years, even not even human, over a generation. And also you can't see it. You can't see the carbon that you're producing. It's, it's invisible gas. So it's kind of like it feels like you're saying ghosts. Ghosts, we're producing too many ghosts. Ghosts are going to kill us all, but not yet. But in a hundred years' time, there'll just be more ghosts killing it. So it's, people I like, don't believe in ghosts. Yeah, and, and, and see, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in climate change. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be fair and go... I'm trying to look for the rational answer to people denying climate change, which I'm—I'm I'm sure the listeners right now, many of our listeners, are like boo hiss. <laughs> but I try and see my my opponent as a rational human being to understand them better. So they're not—they're mad, and I'm good. It's just—are they just? Don't believe in ghosts? Is that what it comes down to?
0: Well, I mean, again, and I hate to keep saying it's complicated, but but (laughs) that sounds good to me. Talking about a perfect storm, there Mm. just psychologically, there are so many reasons why the human brain is ill-equipped to deal with climate change and Mm. and to Mm. conceptualise it and and understand it properly. Mm. Because, like, we're used to being worried about a predator jumping out of the bushes, not a global threat. That's happening over periods of decades. Mm. That's caused by everyone at once being spread out over the whole planet. It's yeah. just something that we have trouble making sense of and and being
2: urgently concerned about.
1: Hang on, there's a predator in the bushes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Imagine basically
2: what you're trying to say is climate change is the world's largest and slowest panther. It's like <laughs> rah, it's coming. <laughs> Run! No, just walk away slowly. It's okay. You know, we could we could fix it relatively easily, couldn't we? I mean, it, it, as it would take will to do it but it's not an insurmountable problem is it i mean it's not like everyone's dead give up go home
0: we can we can fix it yes like i'll never say that it's easy it's it's it requires huge changes to the way we run our society right but scientists have crunched the numbers they've worked out what is our carbon budget how much carbon are we allowed to emit to Mm. keep global warming to safe levels Mm. and they've worked out that we can limit ourselves to that if we Transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy quickly enough.
2: Quickly enough, yeah. It
0: just requires, for it to be quickly <laughs> enough, <laughs> it requires leaders to show leadership about it, it requires mm. the public to. Pressure their leaders about it. It just requires a lot of things and a lot of people caring about it at once.
2: Would it mean in a hundred years' time, from as you're aware, would it mean that our descendants would be eating nothing but yams? Like, we'd go back to, as in, would it destroy our economy to to save the world?
0: No. What would hurt our economy more is if we don't act. Ah. Because the costs of climate impacts is a lot more than the cost of acting. It's mm. just like mm. an ounce okay. of cure is, is worth a pound of prevention. Right. Is that how the saying goes? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those
1: spoonful of sugar helps the <laughs> <medicine>. carbon dioxide <laughs> go down. <laughs> that's not how carbon dioxide <laughs> no. works. I don't think you have been constructive here, Dan. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> you tell us. <him>. No. <laughs> that's no. what he no. does. That's his job.
2: <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, saying. coming saying.
0: back. Now I remember what it was like working with you over a decade ago.
1: <laughs> oh, oh that's going in the chimney. Yeah, we used to work uh, breeding large panthers. <laughs> <That's>
2: <laughs> Very slow mess. mountain. Those mountain panthers. What you're saying is it may cost a dollar now, but that means that'll save us $2, $5, $10? Yeah, I mean... Is there a
1: number? You know what I'm trying to say? Is there a way of looking at it? Mining is a pretty big chunk of why Australia did so well during the local economic crisis, isn't it? Not not really. No? Isn't uh, it like the... Isn't it like... I mean thought it was wool? Coal and looking at whales. I thought that was how <laughs> oh, look, looking at whales. Look, it's what keeps our economy ticking over. But the GFC,
2: no, it's not what that was. You, that's what you are talking about, the global financial crisis. Yes. Yeah. It was keeping the spending going, which was, yeah. Anyway, look, this is a conversation for another time. We're not here to talk about that. Yeah, that was, this isn't an <laughs> economics podcast. No, it's not, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'm working on it. Uh, <laughs> okay, so is there any way of saying if we, if we spend a dollar now, it will save us so many dollars in the future?
0: Yeah, I mean, there has been economic reports done of that nature. Mm. I don't recall the exact... Right. Because I seem to have a recollection or something like. The costs of inaction are like twenty times more than the cost right. of action. Right. Okay.
2: That's that's good. That's a good rough. So that's, that that gives me a, an idea. If we spend one dollar now, or our children, our children's children, our children's children spend twenty bucks in the future, kind of thing. It, it's, is, it's something like that.
0: But then in and, that area, and then this is where my head starts to hurt. Then you have things like discount rates. Economists, when they're working out impacts going decades into the future, they mm. they discount something that's going to happen down the track. Mm. And that whole issue is something really complicated okay. that, right. that economists argue about all night. <laughs> So yes. I'm not really... Uh, let's, just, hmm. let's
1: start now. Hour one. Money, money and debt is another invisible thing that yes, humans yes. can't deal another, with over a long time scale. Another giant panther.
2: getting to fight each other. Debt versus climate change. Okay. So imagine just for a moment that I am... A denialist A staunch conservative Let's say I'm like I, I vote conservatively For my the interests of business I do it because it makes money and I, and I you know Hand that money out to people The whole trickle down to comics I can almost see The Australian
1: flag that's Strapped a, around your neck Like right. a
2: cape Thank you very much I've heard all the information before John You're a very clever man obviously But obviously You're in the pocket of Big green and <laughs> big, 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 big forest Big forest And you're just saying all this To make sure you get more work Your cushy job At the University of Queensland Instead of like Digging a row or whatever you should be doing. You know, how can you convince me? Like, how can you? I'm staunchly. No, no, you're speaking out your ass to use the term. <laughs> how can you convince me? I mean, what, what can we do? So, there's been a number of studies looking
0: at that. How do you convince people whose ideology opposes the evidence? Mm. And the basic answer is it's pretty next to impossible. Right.
2: And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you very
0: much. <laughs> no. so, so, and for, like, I love this study. There's one where they had Republicans who at the start of the experiment, indicated that they believed that there w- were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, right, right? Yeah. which uh, was a belief consistent with their politics because mm. their party led mm. the war into Iraq based mm. on the fact that there were weapons of mass destruction. Mm. Then they presented the evidence, like conclusive evidence, that there were no weapons of mass destruction, including President Bush saying, yep, there weren't any weapons of mass mm. destruction. It was rock-solid evidence. And what they found was only one... Out of 50 of the Republicans, mm. changed their mind about it. Right. So okay. even though it was completely rock solid evidence, including one of their own, mm. President Bush saying, oh, "We got it wrong," mm. they wouldn't change their mind. And this this same backfire effect, w- mm. where you receive evidence conflicting with your worldview, mm. it also happens with anti-vaxxers, mm. happens with climate change, happens with religious belief. Mm. The very first uh, study that found this was actually a scientist had a group of teenage Christians Mm. and he presented evidence that proved that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Like he just made up this information for the purpose of the experiment. And what happened was the, the teenage Christians strengthened their faith. Right. After receiving this evidence. Okay. Which I, I look back and it's, it's an extraordinary result, but I also wonder how he got ethics approval. Yeah, yeah well, about to, to say. Uh, mess with
2: the faith of these yeah. uh, teenagers. Oh, they're only kids. It's fine. They're, <laughs> they're resilient. They bounce. It's fine. So is that it? Is that, I mean, honestly, is that the end of it? You can't do it, don't try? Well, it means that the answer isn't what do you say to this group? The
0: answer mm. is who should we be targeting our communication uh-huh. to? And the answer is... The large undecided majority of people who are open to evidence you can get results with when you communicate scientific evidence. Mm. They're, They're who we should be targeting our efforts to rather than bashing our head against a brick wall trying to convince people who can't be convinced.
2: So the vast majority of Australians, just because we're in Australia, the vast majority of Australians have not made up their mind yet about climate change, do you think?
0: Yeah. There was a survey done by the CSIRO on a representative group of Australians, and they've been Mm. doing this year after year, Mm. and they found that only 7% of Australians didn't believe that climate change was happening. So, oh. so the, the vast majority of Australians weren't denying yeah. climate change. Mm. But the funny thing was they asked people what they believed about climate change, mm. but then they also asked what did they believe about what other people believed mm. about climate change. So they said, how many Australians do you think deny that climate change is happening? Mm. And the average answer was about 21%. So Australians <laughs> think that the group of deniers is three times bigger than it actually is. Right.
2: That's interesting. And that makes them seem like more of a power block as well. Exactly. And, and that's oh. the
0: problem. Like, they call this pluralistic ignorance, the idea that a, a vocal minority has a disproportionate influence because they're just loud, oh. they get a lot of attention. <laughs> they, ah, they... this
1: is looking good for Dan. <laughs> My wife said it was a problem that I was so loud all the friggin' time. Not <laughs> It's, it, nah. it's a... like... <laughs> Just makes me a more vocal boating block.
2: Well, thank goodness that the white male middle class man can finally get his voice heard in this world, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd say. Bless your heart for pushing Ooh. this, pushing. It. You're like you're like a Martin Luther King of white middle class male Australians.
1: I'm like a slow <laughs> giant underdog.
2: <laughs> Actually,
1: you are so the overdog. It's scary, Dan Beeston, Overdog. Overdog. <laughs> anyway. So your product, the the course itself, so where does it exist?
0: So the course we're doing is called Making Sense of Climate Science Denial. And it, it actually springs from everything we just talked about, mm. which is it's not about changing the minds of people who deny the science. It's about communicating the science to every undecided majority, but mm. not mm. just communicating the science, actually inoculating them against the misinformation.
1: Ah, <laughs> that's a nice way of putting like it. it.
0: Well, well, it is. Like my PhD <laughs> research has been investigating... What do we do about climate science denial. Now,
1: your inoculations don't cause autism, do they? Because I read this thing the other <laughs> don't, day. No, don't even. No, don't right, don't right, even. Shutting up. Stop now.
0: Go on, John, please. You've lost my train of thought after that. <laughs> that <all laughs> crack. He, he so many things I could say to that.
1: The yeah, no, that, Losing your train of thought easily is means you could be on the spectrum.
2: Anyway, <laughs> stop it. <So> inoc- <laughs> inoculating. We're not, right. No, we're inoculating the people using your, your, your I, database. Well, your well, course. I, as, as I was researching
0: how do we reduce the influence of misinformation I came upon this branch of psychology called inoculation theory Mm. and it takes that idea of with with inoculation you expose people to a weak version of a virus Mm. to give them resistance against the virus when they encounter it in the real world Mm. and inoculation theory applies this idea to knowledge you can help people build resistance to misinformation by exposing them to a weak form of the misinformation.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I can give you a real world example of, I, I understand this. This is the one, one of the first times, one of the reasons this podcast exists. Dan and I had a big argument many years ago about uh, the Corollis effect, about the hardy mm. the spinning water in, in a tub. And I was adamant it existed in a toilet level. And, and Dan went, no, no, no. And I was like, no, nah, you're wrong. And, and he went, here's some evidence. And I went, you evidence can shove it up us. And I was just like, nah, nah, nah. Because I'd done the experiments on planes. Like, I, 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 I'd done this, I'd gone over. Of course, I was looking for what I wanted to see. And I was wrong. I was flat out wrong. But it took a lot of effort and a lot of growing up and a lot of seeing other things to work out that actually I was wrong. But to begin with, I was like, to hell with Dan! Like, I just didn't want to listen to what he had to say about it. And that's, I think I was quite open-minded. Yet I was locked into a worldview that did not accept what he said, even though he could go, here's all this evidence, look. <laughs> <So> you have, <laughs> a, you yeah. have a toilet worldview. Man. Yeah, yeah, I have a toilet worldview. Many people have said this about me, yes. Because <laughs> I'd done the experiment, but I'd looked for, for what I wanted to find in the experiment. So my experiment was, was invalid. It wasn't blind, it was just me going, we Wee toilets. Wee toilets. Yeah, actually, that's the way of putting it. Anyway, so, so inoculating people against knowledge with more knowledge, of the, the right knowledge, the correct knowledge. Oh, well, no, no, no,
1: weak the, versions of the wrong knowledge. Right. Oh, okay. right. Actually, you're both right. So, so oh, okay. what,
0: what, what the research tells us is the way to inoculate people, the way mm. to give people resistance to denial or misinformation is explain the science, and that's typically how we do science communication. We just explain mm. the science but then you also have to explain... That's where
1: we've been going wrong, Greg.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You also have to explain how that science can be distorted, explain the fallacies and the techniques used to subvert or distort the science.
2: And that means people are more likely to accept what you're telling them.
0: If you just explain the science alone, they might internalise it, they might understand it, but then they go out into the real world and then...
1: Someone goes, volcanoes! Yeah, exactly. Volcanoes are 95% of all carbon emissions.
0: (laughs) And they have no way of reconciling that misinformation uh, uh. with the science but if you explain the techniques used to distort the science mm. use explain the technique with about volcanoes or the the technique about the 95% argument mm-hmm. and then explain it in concert with the science, like together as a package. Mm. Then when they turn on uh, Andrew Bolt or a- Alan Jones and they mm. hear them using those arguments, mm. they go, "Ah, oh, right, he's using the cherry-picking technique or, mm. or, or the fallacy of misrepresentation or something.
2: So you, are you talking then stepping out of the concept of climate denialism or climate change entirely and just talking about logical fallacies? using the concept of logic and actually a formalised logic, what I'm trying to say here. Uh, Exactly so. So so what we do with
0: our online course Mm. is we go through 50 of the most common climate myths.
3: Mm.
2: So, for example,
0: we might talk about the carbon cycle Mm. and and we start by explaining the cycle of the carbon cycle, how carbon moves through the ocean and the Mm. trees and the atmosphere and just lay down those basic physical principles. Mm. And then we'll say, okay, but there's this myth that 97% of CO2 emissions Mm. comes from nature Mm. and we're only 3%. So therefore, how can humans make a difference? Mm. Mm. And then we'll explain, well, this argument actually uses the technique of oversimplification or Mm. or cherry-picking because it only looks at emissions from nature. It doesn't look at how nature also absorbs CO2. Mm. Nature's in balance. Mm. Uh, It it emits heaps of CO2, but then it sucks it back down again. Mm. When when trees die, all this CO2 gets emitted, but then when the trees grow back again in
2: spring, Mm. it gets absorbed
0: again. We're upsetting that balance.
2: Right. So can we, th- can we throw some at you? That'd could, would that be fun? Would that be a fun thing to try?
0: Do you have them written down and you are going to throw them or are
1: you, are
2: you being
1: metaphorical?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he knows as well. Yeah, no, no, it's, it, it, it is
1: important it's to important. make that distinguishing. I'll
2: just put this heavy object down then. Okay, fine.
1: <laughs> well, I've got one. This is one I've posted to a couple of people on the podcast so far. Should I be avoiding using paper towels and using, like, wet cloths Because the paper towel just comes from a tree, so it's like carbon is sequestered in the paper towel and then it just goes into a tip and it gets buried in the ground. So, boom, sequestered carbon. That's a good question.
0: I'd have (laughs) to think about that one Um, because it really depends on what happens to that carbon. Does does it decompose and then emit the carbon back into the atmosphere. Mm.
1: Mm. Uh-huh. How but far down do you have to bury it to trap it yeah. properly? But I guess yeah. I yeah. guess in that case... What? I oh, know. What if I buried it in a lot of concrete? <laughs> well,
0: concrete has, has a lot of emissions to, uh, in the construction, but, <laughs> but probably in this case of paper towels, what's <laughs> happening is... As long as it 's not an old grass tree, the trees pull the carbon out of the, out of the atmosphere mm-hmm. grow turn we, it into we wood chop them
3: mm-hmm. and
0: then we turn turn that into a paper tower mm-hmm. If that paper tower then goes back into the atmosphere that 's just all part of the cycle so it 's not actually adding any extra c o2 to the atmosphere it 's just mm. That's like when we breathe, we're breathing out CO2, mm. but that CO2 comes from the food we eat, which comes from plants, mm. which grabbed it from the atmosphere. So it's all part of the cycle. Ah, it's, so- it's, it's only a problem when we're actually digging carbon mm. out of the ground mm. and then sending mm. that, that. So is abs- that
2: basically, we're taking a long, uh, long cycle of carbon, like rocks and limestone and oil and things like that. We're breaking that cycle and bringing it much faster to the surface because oil would sit under the ground for millions if not billions of years and humans dig it out so we're interrupting a natural cycle that would slowly be released back into the environment and then reabsorbed in some other form and burning it really fast much much faster i'm not sure whether
0: it would even end up in the atmosphere like it it, it only oil and fossil fuels it would only end up in the atmosphere if they're burned Mm. if you take that carbon and Combine it with oxygen. Yes. And okay.
2: Oxygen. okay. Uh, yeah. So,
0: yeah. so, yeah, once it once it gets into the ground and, and becomes a fossil fuel, it's, it's essentially locked out of the atmosphere. Mm. And now, that's from millions of years ago.
1: What if I want really nice paper towels and I have them shipped here on a jumbo jet <laughs> from the other side of the planet rather than created locally? That's- like... That's that would be a problem wouldn't it that would, be a problem. that would be a problem
2: people have thrown at me quite often that we have we have evidence in the geological rocks that the carbon level has gone much higher than it was today much mm. much higher uh, like ridiculously high the animals got bigger and had big dragonflies and that sort of stuff all sort of goodness and the pre- the temperatures went up so the planet earth basically was denuded ice. but we're still here everything's cool you know humans didn't exist then but the world seemed to go into balance so it seemed to just spike quite quickly back then so how do we know where do it now compared to in the past when it spiked.
0: The reason why we know that humans are causing global warming now Mm. is because when we observe climate change, when we Mm. take all the measurements of what's going on out there, we see human fingerprints all over the place. Mm. We see all all these specific patterns that match greenhouse gas warming Mm. and rule out other natural causes. Mm. So, for example, satellites measure less heat escaping out to space at the exact wavelengths that carbon dioxide absorb energy. One of the earliest predicted patterns of greenhouse warming was in the 1850s. Uh, John Tyndall, the guy who discovered greenhouse gases, said that if greenhouse gases are causing warming, mm. then we should see nights warming faster than days and mm. we should see winters warming faster than summers. Mm. We're seeing those patterns now. Ah, okay. So all those patterns confirm greenhouse warming and they yeah. also rule out all those other natural drivers.
2: I see what you're saying there, but doesn't that mean that carbon dioxide, how do we know it's our carbon dioxide? It's not just a natural cycle of the planet. Like the planet is producing more carbon dioxide now through volcanoes or something like mm. that. Or How do we know it's our carbon dioxide?
0: We're emitting about 30 billion tonnes of CO2 in the atmosphere every year. Like we can add this That's up quite crazy. accurately by <laughs> using energy statistics. Like mm. We know how much energy all the different countries are, are burning. Mm. And so 30 billion tonnes of CO2 is going into the atmosphere mm the actual amount of CO2 going up each year Mm. is about half that. So half of what we emit Mm. is staying there and the the rest of Uh. it is being absorbed by the oceans or by vegetation. Mm. But fossil fuel CO2 also has a distinct fingerprint as well. That's another human fingerprint. And so the type of CO2 that's accumulating in the atmosphere, it matches the type that we would expect to see if fossil fuel burning was
1: causing it. So, CO two is so one carbon molecule and two oxygen molecules. How do you have different types of CO two? Right, good question. All right, so finally, finally, I have (laughs) carbon has an atomic
0: number of six, which means there's like six protons and Mm -hmm. and six electrons. Mm -hmm. You have different Mm -hmm. types of carbon atom based on how many neutrons are Mm -hmm. in the. Nucleus. So different different isotopes. So you have carbon-12 is the most common type of carbon where there's six protons and six neutrons. Uh But then you also have carbon-14, which has six protons and eight neutrons. Mm. So you have carbon-12, carbon-13, and carbon-14. Plants like carbon-12 more than they like carbon-14.
1: But they'll ingest both of them.
0: Well, they will, but they'll ingest carbon-12 more. Uh, Is
1: ingest the right word?
0: Well, they'll...
1: Uh, no. <laughs> do, you, do you need a Do you need a, a digestive system anyway. to ingest something? It's
0: photosynthesis is, yeah. is how yeah. they how they build up their plant mass. Mm. And the way I remember it is carbon twelve is lighter. Plants are just trying to keep their carbs down.
1: <laughs> oh, not that baboa tree, friend. They, they're fat. Those, those trees. bottle trees. They love
2: it. They're like sucking down. Okay, so the, the changes, So we're changing the ratio of the isotopes of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So by pumping, exactly. by, by the processes of the human beings of in the industry, but we are producing more of a certain isotope, so a heavier isotope. No, no, we're producing, we're producing certain isotopes, and most of the heavy ones are staying in the atmosphere. Is that, is that the way it is? We're Because fossil fuels have more carbon-12 carbon than carbon-14, right. because
0: plants like carbon-12 because they're trying to keep their carbs down. Oh, okay, I see. Therefore, as we burn more fossil fuel, yeah. and fossil fuels come from plants, We're seeing more of the carbon-12 in the ratio of carbon-12. I see now. Yes,
2: that makes more sense. Okay, yeah, that's good. So we can say, so once again, that's definitely not from the ground. That's not from volcanoes because that would be a different ratio of carbon isotopes. Right useful see these are all useful things wow yes that's actually quite useful to me too so
0: so, but with the volcano thing um, Mm -hmm. that is a common argument in fact it's that whole thing about carbon dioxide is invisible but a volcanic Mm -hmm. eruption has these huge plumes and they're really visible and dramatic and lots Mm -hmm. of planes can get grounded if it's a big enough eruption Mm -hmm. so it's quite easy to say well how how can humans be having an impact when you've got this Big volcano. Mm. But when scientists add up all the CO2 coming from every volcano in the world, Mm. above ground and in the oceans, Mm. human CO2 emissions is 100 times bigger than every (laughs) volcano added together.
2: (laughs) I love that number. 100 times. It's 1 of our output. Exactly. That's insane.
0: And so, and a good example of this is that Icelandic volcano that grounded all those
2: flights in that's Europe. Right. A number of hiking, watching, talking, and, and, say, and I'll, you, I'll give you. I'll give you 10 bucks right now if you can name it. <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's why I called it the Icelandic because I, I I, I've never finish. lost that $10. I've, I have never. It's still in my pocket. It's ready to go. Listeners, if you can. Majorgan, Hogan, Sturgen, Dorgan. Stop, stop. Dusseldorf and Hogan, Kagan. Do you guys have
0: many Icelandic um, listeners to your Not
1: podcast? Not anymore. No, no, they, they just switched off. There's, there's one
2: out there going, I'm going to name myself sweet 10 sweet Australian dollars. <laughs>
0: So the amount of uh, CO2 that that volcano emitted was less than the amount of CO2 saved from all the flights that were grounded. Oh, my goodness. Because that <laughs> <open>. Oh, no! <laughs> so it was actually oh, the, the Earth's first ever negative emissions volcanic eruption. What? <laughs>
2: That's awesome. I'm pulling muscle laughing. (laughs) They're talking about September 11, 2001 and and the World Trade Center bombing and the planes not flying for days because America shut down its airways basically to protect themselves. And they notice then the difference in pollution and the carbon given out and even... And temperature. And temperature. Ground temperature changes. Yeah, yeah. And just by the planes stopping. So you're like, how can you say humans don't make any evidence, even on a short scale? immediately if you care, because weather and climate is different. But you still, you go, wow, you you can measure the change in temperature that not flying planes... For a week, made it doesn't mean that we're making. Mm. That's not the that you can't. That doesn't prove climate change. It was once again. You sit there and go, oh, it points very heavily as that that human created problems are human created. Like it was for me, it was like,
1: oh, that's pointing in the right direction for me. Because it was gone for a week, it was all the chemtrails evaporated, <laughs> and. <laughs> and so, and there was more. There was less shade, and that's, that's right. why the Earth what, heated up a little what bit. What happens? I is
2: then all the chemtrails left, and yeah. that means all the people stopped having the drugs in the system, so their systems weren't quite as hot. They just felt everything was being cooler. Oh, is that how that that's works. How it
1: yeah, anyway, right? We're terrible you see, people. We see we're, we're making these silly jokes, yeah. and John's looking at us yeah. with the eyes of a man mm. who routinely actually has to has deal to be, with people who think these exactly. are real. Well,
0: what I'm thinking while you're saying these is, even though you're joking, right? Yeah. Just repeating myths makes people more familiar with them.
1: Oh no. Uh-oh.
0: And the more familiar you are with a piece of information, the more likely you are to think that it's true. Oh, wait, so we're so, part of the problem. So, uh, you're good
1: doing... news for Bigfoot and Sasquatch fans. <laughs> We mentioned those guys a lot. We do actually, yeah. Oh dear.
2: Okay, so we're we're part of the problem. Smarter than a better part of the problem. When I I mentioned how
0: I got an email from that psychology professor after I'd been running my climate mm. blog for several years. Because mm. I I was debunking all these myths. Mm. And the way I would debunk them is I would have the myth at the top of the webpage, which most debunking articles will say, Here's the myth, and then here's a long article debunking it. Yeah. And what he sent sent me was psychological research into the ways not to debunk misinformation. And the ways not to do it was exactly how I was doing it. Oh, no. Because when you put all the emphasis on the myth first Mm. and then you have lots of information debunking it,
3: Mm.
0: over time all people can remember is that that thing that yeah. you put all the prominence on the headline and, and they T-L-D-R.
2: It's it makes sense when you teach in a classroom, one of the things you learn is that there 's the first chunk of the lesson is the most powerful chunk to teach kids exactly that 's where their brains are registered the first you 've got to catch them in the first five minutes or, and they 'll forget everything else so I guess adults are the same then it 's a whole if, if you 're reading an article you 're going to, have to read the first ten percent remember that so that was I read something about chemtrails making people hotter or something that's what that 's what you're going to remember oh man so it's a time this back into what we're talking. If you're talking to a climate person, a person who doesn't believe in climate change, and they go, what about this myth? Don't go through the myth then to start off with when you're talking back to them and say, oh, well, here's the science that, of, that we know so far, and at the end deal with their myth. So you can go, here's what climate science is right now, blah, 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 and here's, what, here's specifically how it affects what you're talking about. Would yeah.
0: that be a good way of doing it? That, that's exactly right. And so, <laughs> so in, weeks, in week six of our course, I talk mm. about the psychology debunking and and you've just spoiled it because that's, that's oh, essentially no. the, um, what we say. But but, but there's a lot of studies that back up yep. just what you said. You, and in fact, based on that research, that's how we structured all of our lectures. We start by explaining the facts, mm. establish the solid science first. Mm. Then you introduce the myth. But even then, when you introduce the myth, give people a warning that you're about to mention a myth so that they're cognitively on guard. Right. They're less likely to be influenced or think that that myth's true. And then you explain the fallacy right. uh, that the myth uses to
2: distort the science so they can reconcile the fact with the myth. Right. Okay. So in the podcast, and we should have like a myth warning. Like a
1: <laughs> Dan's, Dan's about to say something. Yeah, like, Dan's about to say something. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the sound of my voice. Every time you speak, Jay, you go, ah, have a little, I, just, I didn't speak. You, so you want me to be even screechier. <laughs> All right, I can do that. (laughs) No, don't say it. I mean, have the honky horn. I was trying to modulate a honky horn. (laughs) (laughs) My, My wife says that my voice sounds like an alarm going off constantly anyway. Oh, in a nice way. The alarm to love. Okay, forget it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
2: So every I feel like every time I open my mouth, I'm saying something terrible. Now I feel really bad. I mean, are we doomed? Are people, uh, as in, well, as we consider ourselves smarter than a better as a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance, and so part of it we're trying to inform people in a fun way. Should we just give up? I mean, should we just pack everything up and go home? I mean,
0: absolutely not. Because because science damn should should guide everything. Got off the hook
1: there.
2: So
0: so firstly, yeah, I mean, what you're doing is so important because what society needs to do is have an evidence-based approach to mm. how we do everything, right? Mm. And so, so science is crucial. Mm. But the the big message I'm always trying to get out and one of the big themes of our course is that we also need to be evidence-based in how we communicate science. Right. So that means listening to social science, Mm. what all the social science research and the evidence tells us about what are the most effective ways to communicate science.
1: Mm. So don't just be right, be good at being right.
0: Yeah. I mean, mean science communication isn't just about science. It's also about communicating. <laughs>
1: okay. It's about understanding yes. your audience
0: and understanding how they think. So that means you do need to understand psychology to some degree.
1: So are there any a, myths or science that you came across that you particularly, like, are your favourites?
0: Favourite myths.
1: Favourite myths or, or favourite Maybe hard to debunk myths, not just favourite
2: ones too. Like of the ones you, you went, oh, that's actually quite a clever clever thought process. Okay, here's the answer to it.
0: The golden rule of debunking is you need to replace a sticky myth with mm. an even stickier fact. When you debunk a myth, you're basically reaching into a person's mind and plucking that myth out and that leaves a gap in their mind, in their mental model. You I'm familiar look...
1: with that feeling of having a gap in my mind, yes?
0: <laughs> right. <And> so... <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dan. So you need to fill that gap with an alternative fact right. otherwise the myth just comes back again
2: uh, but, uh, yeah. and, and
0: generally myths are simple and sticky and easy to remember mm. you need to make your fact just as or even more sticky and simple and easy to remember mm. and sometimes that's hard because facts are complicated the science is complicated and mm. nuanced And
2: is this the reason then This is, I was wondering about this a lot of science communicators who have done well are unbelievably attractive men and women and I think that you sit there and go is this because
1: it's, Shh, it's, Stop it.
2: <laughs> is this because, on, is this because this is, people are more like you, you want to make sure people remember? So if you're like some horrible diet like myself, then, then that's, that's not going to get people on board. But if you're trying to promote a, a myth or even the science, but if you're kind of a sexy, like, oh, I'm attracted to you on some sort of level, they're more willing to listen to you as well. Do you think that's a, a useful strategy? Only having attracted people talk about science? I mean,
0: there's something to that. <laughs> like there's a, there's a book by Randy Olson. Don't be such a scientist. And he talks about, <laughs> and, and he is a scientist, but mm, he also mm. worked in Hollywood and he's a really good communicator. Mm. And he says that uh, we can communicate at dip, like four different levels, up at, up at our mind, mm. our heart, Uh-oh. our gut, or our <laughs> groin. Right? And so he says scientists only communicate generally with the mind. Yeah. But the lower down you go, the more effective you are as a communicator. So if you go to the heart and appeal to pe- people's mm. emotions, mm. then you communicate at a deeper level. Mm. If you go to the gut and can make people laugh. And mm. so that's why mentioning myths isn't necessarily a bad thing. If mm. you can do it in a funny way, right. then then it can be effective. If
2: You <laughs> do something. And, of course, we've got Dan for the, for the sexy groin part. Oh, the groin star. That's, there you go. That's good. So I'll Mm. be be head and heart. Dan, you be gut and groin. How's that sound? (laughs) That sounds perfect.
1: (laughs) Is there a use for people... Oh, how do I say this gently? No, no, no (laughs) use for people. If they weren't around, this whole problem wouldn't
2: (laughs) be here. Like there are TV shows and podcasts and all sorts of things, and, and they just write in an aggressive manner, they go, here's this person, they're saying something dumb, we should laugh at them, what an idiot. It could be on climate change, it could be about religion, it's, and it could also not just be the left or, or the progressives, it could also be conservatives doing, this person's an idiot, this greenie's a big idiot. Is there any evidence that that's useful, like, like yelling and screaming at people and pointing out how dumb they are and getting your tribe to yell and laugh at the other tribe? Is that, is that constructive in any way? Ad hominem attacks
0: do work. That's why every political campaign... <laughs> You've ever seen uses <laughs> right. you know, like it
2: right? It gets votes or it wins elections, so so it does does work. Should we do it then? Is that is it, we should be running around going that climate denialist is a moron? Or, well, is that I, is that useful?
0: I think that you also have to look in your heart and decide whether you're going to be an ethical person or not. Oh, uh, uh, I like it <laughs> because and also like from out the point of view of the approach I take is mm. is exposing the fallacies mm. of science denial. And at hominem is just one of those fallacies. It's mm. not an evidence-based approach. Mm. So if you want to be scientific, if you want to be evidence-based in how you communicate and mm. how you think, mm. then no, that, that's not an appropriate tactic. There you
2: go.
0: But one of the things that's controversial about our course is we're examining science denial and the people who deny the science don't mm. like that because we are turning the spotlight around and shining it on mm. the psychological processes of science denial. Mm. It's not about ad hominem attacks and Mm. slurring them, but it is about understanding what drives denial, like how ideology drives denial, Mm. and the techniques of denial.
1: Mm. Have you had any Uh, creative feedback from these people? So we we had (laughs) 15,000 people sign up for our course. Oh, wow.
0: And a handful of them were people who deny the science. Mm. And so we have a forum where all the students get together and interact. And there was a lot of discussion and concern about how we're going to handle the forums, would there be a lot of disruption from, mm-hmm. from these creative people denying the science? <laughs> and, and what happened was great. What happened was they were in there, just a small group, posting their arguments against climate science, mm. posting all the same arguments we were debunking in our lectures.
1: No, what, what they're so dumb. That's uh, such a <laughs> foolish. Didn't uh, they realise what they were doing? What it did was
0: it gave the rest of the students the opportunity to flex their muscles oh. and, and
1: try to yes. identify the fallacies in their arguments. So you didn't mm. even have to set homework. These guys were doing it for you. It's almost like you paid them.
0: Well, I mean, we had our quiz homework, but these guys essentially provided live training. <laughs> I,
1: they, they provided real-world
2: real, real world examples, which is what exactly you always need in, in education. Well, show-don't-tell is one of the most basic principles That's of education. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, so um, how do you not preach to the converted? You said you had 15,000 people and, and like, only a small percentage were denialists, who so the ones you really want are the denialists, really. How do we, How do like, how do the smart They're uh, the ones who are on the fence. Oh, I guess so, maybe, yeah. That's, that's another way I didn't think about that. How do you not preach to the converted? How do we get the message to people who need the message in a way that will be open, like, will open their minds, or, or at least they'll be open to maybe listening to that message?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was a big challenge. And with our course, our aspiration was that there was two target audiences. One was the converted. Mm not necessarily preaching to the converted, but mm. maybe arming or equipping the converted. Right. But <laughs> yeah. the second group was the mm. undecided, and, and and we were hoping that people who were confused about climate change would come to this course and, and make sense of all the controversy. Mm. We ended up getting more of the converted than the undecided. Yeah. But in a sense, that wasn't necessarily a problem because the overwhelming number of people who came to our course mm. were keen to... L- make a difference and learn how to more effectively communicate. Mm. And at the end of the course, what we found was a lot of the students were actually teachers, professors, high school uh. teachers, and they hadn't learned any of this psychology of debunking. How do you debunk a myth? What's the best structure? About fact first, then then myth, then fallacy. Mm. And so mm. we got a lot of feedback from teachers saying, I'm, I'm using this now in the classroom and we're already been showing you videos and, and I'm redesigning my class like lectures to take advantage of all this psychological research. So mm, I that's think that's how you go beyond the converted. Well, for us at least we create these resources and then they're used by teachers taking it into classrooms. Mm,
2: that's useful. so you're training
1: the trainers basically. You you yeah. you right. That's brilliant. Okay, that's how it should be done. So if someone wanted to sign up to your course, how would they go about that?
0: they go to edx.org? forward slash understanding-climate-denial. Dash dash we'll put it
1: in the notes. <laughs> right. we'll, put it, we'll, we'll link to it in the <laughs> it, notes. If, if you <laughs> Google
0: Denial 101X, we come up first. There we go,
2: Denial 101X. That's fantastic.
0: And then it's a free sign-up. Anyone can sign up. Mm-hmm. The course actually ends in two, day, in two oh, days. Oh, no! But this is the first time we've run it. Mm-hmm. It was like a seven-week course. But once that finishes, from July 1, it all goes back online and the whole thing's available with no deadlines because a lot of the students... Mm. This, this happens with every MOOC. They somehow just miss the deadline by three minutes mm, every mm. time. And so then there's a lot of stressing out. There won't be any <laughs> deadlines for now and it'll just be on indefinitely and anyone can sign up
2: at any time. And, and just do it at their own speed. Yes. Right. So will you be running it as a, as a teacher again or as a, as a lecturer again or it will never be run? It'll just be now a body of work that's available for people to do at their own speed.
0: Well, it'll be available. There will also still be the forum oh, where right. students can interact, and so we'll yes. be keeping an eye on that. Mm. And it will be there and we'll mm. be running essentially, but, right. but not with yep. the same intensity as it did in the first seven
1: weeks with the 15,000 students. Right.
2: Okay. I think it's really useful for people to sign up for.
1: Brilliant. Immediately. Right. Well, thank you very much, John Cook. This no has worries. been a wonderful experience. It really has been. Uh, and now we know to avoid listening to anything I say. <laughs> Again, thank you so much to John Cook.
2: I actually learned some stuff, some seriously useful stuff. When I first heard we're doing this interview, I was like, what can I be told about telling people about Oh, no, no, that was wrong. And I learned some good things there. So, yes, go and spread the joy, ladies and gentlemen. You have been listening to
1: Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Greg at smartenough.org. Follow us on Twitter at S-E-2-K-B. Facebook, 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 Facebook. S-E-2-K-B. Go on to iTunes and, like, all all the stuff. Guess like the stars uh, and yeah. the reviews,
2: oh, and uh, yeah, subscribing, yeah, mean, yeah, whatever. It's something much more important than that. What much more important. It? There's a what's... big, big 100th episode coming. Ooh, it's coming up. It's coming. I was like, it's so, like a big, 96. It's, a, it's. it's oh. There's only three more, and then three. boom, 100. That's right. And that's that's like a month and a half away. to how it works? Yes. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I thought it was three months. Oh no. <laughs> we have made a terrible error. So. Something very exciting. We can't talk about it right now, but there's stuff in the planning and we're going to do some cool 100th episode kind of stuff. So be amazed. Tell your friends. 100 It's an arbitrary number that we find important.
1: So if you're a month and a half behind, check the Twitter. Yes, get on the Twitters. Because we're probably going to be up to date there that's right or listen to episode 99 skip ahead to 99 <laughs> and if you're listening to this like in maybe three months then you missed it sucker okay. That's like you oh like... but they didn't miss it they can just go back and listen to 100 yeah. and enjoy it right now I wish I was them true because then we
2: don't have to organize it all it would yeah. all be done in fact I wish I was yeah. the listener
1: or if you're listening to this in like 50 episodes Jump ahead to 200 because we might do something then. As that's well, that's definitely
2: pretty amazing. Oh, I'm so looking forward to episode 200. Oh, it's going to be so much that, better than episode be 100. So, oh, Scott, it'll piss all over it.
1: And as we always like to say, Greg and Elon sitting in Stop a tree. It. Stop H-I-N-G. it! A I double it! the guy who developed this device that allowed users to stab each other in the face. <laughs> the idea is that as soon as someone gets steps out of line, they can be stabbed in the face. So that the idea was that it would completely stop all horrible behaviour yeah. by everyone on the internet. But unfortunately, about two seconds after he turned it on, he was mysteriously stabbed in the face. <laughs> Do you have any official titles that go along with your name? At the
0: University of Queensland I'm a climate communication research fellow at the Global Change Institute.
1: I need a that. Pen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know the concept of this that's twilight zone story about the box this mysterious man turns up this guy's house he's like ah i can make all your wishes come true you know what what do you want i want a million dollars all you have to do is press this button on this box just you know every time i press the button on the box you press the button on the box someone randomly on planet earth will die when you press that button so it's that like kind of thing. It could be anyone, it could be it could be the person next to you, but more likely it's 7 billion people. it would be some random person in Lithuania, who cares? And it's like do you press and it's like the whole thing, but we there's like a modern day version of that same thing. It's like, you know, if you press a button then someone will die, and the person goes beep, just like, and like the internet trolls goes, "Ha! Million dollars. Another million dollars. Another million dollars." Like, you, stop it. Why are you keep pressing the button? I don't, it's like fun. <laughs> You're killing people. Whatever. <laughs> No, I do love Elon. Shut up. I have, a, I have a desperate, desperate man crush on him. Stop it. Go on. Aaron, yeah.
1: Go on. I've set my love to insanity mode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, Actually, I dated a girl like that once. But at any rate... <clears throat>